Chapter Fourteen of Doom Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Doom Castle by Neil Munro. Chapter Fourteen. Clamour. Count Victor came through the woods from Strongera singularly disturbed by the inexplicable sense of familiarity which arose from his meeting with the horseman. It was a dry day, and genial, yet with hints of rain on the horizon, and white caps to the waves, betokening perhaps a storm not far distant. Children were in the wood of Dunderev, ruddy, shy children, gathering nuts and blackberries, with merriment haunting the landscape as it were in a picture by Watteau, or a tale of the classics, where such figures happily move for ever and for ever in the right golden glamour. Little elves they seemed to Count Victor as he came upon them over an eminence, and saw them for the first time through the trees under tall oaks and pines, among whose pillars they moved as if in fairy cloisters, the sea behind them shining with a vivid and stinging blue. He had come upon them frowning, his mind full of doubts as to the hazards of his adventure in Argyll, convinced almost that the baron of doom was right and that the needle in the haystack was no more hopeless a quest than that he had set out on and the spectacle of their innocence in the woodland soothed him like a psalm in a cathedral as he stood to watch unknowing of his presence there they ran and played upon the grass their lips stained with the berry juice their pillow slips of nuts gathered beneath a bush of whin they laughed and chanted merry rhymes a gaiety their humble clothing lent them touched the thickets with romance in other circumstances than fate had set about his life count victor might have been a good man a good man not in the common sense that means paying the way telling the truth showing the open hand respecting the law going to mass loyalty to the woman and to a friend but in the rare, wide manner that comprehends all these, and has its growth in human affection and religious faith. He loved birds, animals ever found him soft-handed, as for children, the petites, God bless them. Was he not used to stand at his window at home and glow to see them playing in the street? And as he watched the urchins in the wood of Dunderev, far from the scenes he knew, children babbling in an uncouth language whose smallest word he could not comprehend he felt an elevation of his spirit that he indulged by sitting on the grass above them looking at their play and listening to their laughter as if it were an opera he forgot his fears his apprehensions his ignoble little enterprise of revenge he felt a better man and he had his reward as one shall ever have who sits in a space with childish merriment and woodland innocence in this case it was something more direct and tangible than the immaterial efflux of the soul though that too was not wanting he saw the signal kerchief being placed outside the window that otherwise reaching home too early he had missed it is my last chance if i leave to-morrow he thought 
I shall satisfy myself as to the nocturnal visitor, the magic flutist, and the bewildering Annapla, and probably find the mystery as simple as the egg in the conjurer's bottle when all is ended. That night he yawned behind his hand at supper, in the midst of his host's account of his interview with Petullo the rider, who had promised to secure lodging for Count Victor in a day or two, and the baron showed no disinclination to conclude their somewhat dull sedrant and consent to an early retirement. "'I have something pressing to do before I go to bed myself,' he said, restoring by that simple confession some of Count Victor's first suspicions. They were to be confirmed before an hour was passed. He went up to his room and weighed his duty to himself and to some unshaped rules of courtesy and conduct that he had inherited from a house more renowned for its sense of ceremonial honour, perhaps, than for commoner virtues. His instinct as a stranger in a most remarkable dwelling, creeping with mystery and with numberless evidences of things sinister and perhaps malevolent, told him it was fair to make a reconnaissance, even if no more was to be discovered than a servant's sordid amours. On the other hand, he could not deny to himself that there was what the Baron de Chenier would have called the little Lyon shopkeeper in the suspicions he had against his host, and in the steps he proposed to take to satisfy his curiosity. He might have debated the situation with himself till midnight, or as long as Mungo's candles lasted him, had not a shuffling and cautious step upon the stair suggested that someone was climbing to the unused chambers above. Putting Pontilio in his pocket, he threw open his door, and had before him a much perplexed baron of doom, wrapped from neck to heel in a great plaid of sombre tartan, and carrying a candle. Doom stammered an inaudible excuse. Pardon, said Count Victor, ironically in spite of himself, as he saw his host's abashed countenance. I fear I intrude on a masquerade. Pray do not mind me. It was that I thought the upper flat uninhabited, and no one awake but myself. You have me somewhat at a disadvantage, said Doom coldly, resenting the irony. I'll explain afterwards. "'Positively there is no necessity,' replied Count Victor, with a profound bow, and he re-entered and shut the door. There was no longer any debate between punctilio and precaution. He had seen the bulge of the dagger below McNaughton's plate, and the plate itself had not been drawn too closely around the wearer to conceal wholly the unaccountable fact that he had a highland dress beneath it. A score of reasons for this eccentric affair came to Montaillon, but all of them were disquieting, not the least so the notion that his host conspired, perhaps, with the Macfarlanes, who sought their revenge for their injured clansmen. He armed himself with his sword, blew out his candles, and throwing himself upon his bed, lay waiting for the signal he expected. In spite of himself, sleep stole on him twice, and he awakened each time to find an hour was gone. It was a night of pouring rain. Great drops beat on the little window, 
a gargoyle poured a noisy stream of water and a loud sea cried off the land and broke upon the outer edge of the rock of doom a loud sea and ominous and it was hard for count victor in that welter of midnight voices to hear the call of an owl yet it came to him by and by as he expected with its repetition and then the flageolet with its familiar and baffling melody floating on a current of the wind that piped about the castle vents and sobbed upon the stairs he opened his door looked into the depth that fell with mouldering steps into the basement and upwards to the flight where the baron had been going whether he should carry his inquiry further or retire and shut his door again with a forced indifference to these perplexing events was but the toss of the coin as he listened a slight sound at the foot of the stair the sound of a door softly closed and a bar run in deep channels decided him and he waited to confound the master of doom in the darkness the stern walls about him seemed to weigh upon his heart and so imbued with vague terrors that he unsheathed his sword a light revealed itself upon the stair he drew back into his room but left the door open and when the bearer of the light came in front of his door he could have cried out loudly in astonishment for it was not the baron but a woman and no woman that he had seen before or had any reason to suspect the presence of in Doom Castle. They discovered each other simultaneously. She, a handsome foreigner, fumbling to put a rapier behind him in discreet concealment, much astounded. He, a woman no more than twenty, in her dress and manner all incongruous with the savage domicile. In his after years it was Count Victor's most vivid impression that her eyes had first given him the embarrassment that kept him dumb in her presence for a minute after she had come upon him thus strangely ensconced in the dark corridor. It was those eyes, the eyes of the woman born and bred by seas unchanging yet never the same, unfathomable yet always inviting to the guess, the passionate surmise, that told him first there was a maiden made for love a figure tremulous with a warm grace a countenance perfect in its form full of a natural gravity yet quick to each emotion turning from the pallor of sudden alarm to the flush of shyness or vexation the mountains had stood around to shelter her and she was like the harebell of the hills had she been the average of her sex he would have met her with a front of brass instead there was a confusion in his utterance and his mien he bowed extremely low madame pardon i-i was awakened by music and her silence unaccompanied even by a smile at the ridiculous nature of the rencontre and the proud sobriety of her visage quickened him to a bolder sentiment than he had at first meditated i was awakened by music and it seems appropriate with madame's permission i shall return to earth his foolish words perhaps did not quite reach her the wind eddied noisily in the stair that seemed in the light from his open door to gulp the blackness 
perhaps she did not hear perhaps she did not fully understand for she hesitated more than a moment as if pondering not a whit astonished or abashed with her eyes upon his countenance count victor wished to god that he had lived a cleaner life somehow he felt that there were lines upon his face betraying him i am sorry to have been the cause of your disturbance she said at last calmly in a voice with the music of lulled little waves running on fairy isles in the summer weather almost without a trace that english was not her natural tongue and that faint innuendo of the mountain melody but adding to the charm of her accent count victor ridiculously pulled at his moustache troubled by his sang-froid where he might naturally have looked for perturbation pardon i demand your pardon was all that he could say looking at the curl upon her shoulder that seemed uncommon white against the silk of her indian shawl that veiled her form she saw his gaze instinctively drew closer her screen then reddened at her error in so doing he had the woman there pardon he repeated it is ridiculous of me but i have heard the signals and the music more than once and wondered i did not know he smiled the smile of the flaneur i did not know it was let me say orpheus and eurydice orpheus with his lure restored from among the constellations and forgetting something of its old wonder madame i hope orpheus will not enroom himself by his serenading her lips parted slightly her eyes chilled an indescribable thing but a plain lesson for a man who knew her sex and count victor in that haughty instinct of her flesh and eye saw that here was not the place for the approach and opening of flippant parlours in the rue Beautreille. i fear i have not intruded for the first time he went on in a different tone it must have been your chamber i somewhat unceremoniously broke into last night till this moment the presence of a lady in doom castle had not occurred to me at least i had come to consider the domestic was the only one of her sex we had here it is easily explained said the lady losing some of her hauteur and showing a touch of eagerness to be set right in the stranger's eye there is positively not the necessity protested count victor realizing a move gained and delaying his withdrawal a moment longer but you must understand that she went on again he interrupted as courteously as he might the explanation is due from me madame i protest said he as she pouted it gave her a look so bewitching so much the aspect of a tempest bound in a cobweb that he was compelled to smile and for the life of her she could not but respond with a similar display it seemed when he saw her smile through her clouds that he had wandered but blindly through the world till now france far off in sunshine brimming with laughter and song its thousand interests its innumerable happy associations were of little account to the fact that now he was in the castle of doom under the same roof with the woman who charmed magic flutes who endowed the dusks with mystery and surprise the night piped from the vaults 
the crumbling walls hummed with the incessant wind and the vibration of the tempestuous sea upon the outer stones the gargoyles poured their noisy waters but this was paradise the explanation must be mine said he i was prying upon no amour but seeking to confirm some vague alarms and suspicions they were perhaps connected with my father she said with a divination that count victor had occasion to remember again your father he exclaimed astonished that one more of his misconceptions should be thus dispelled then i have been guilty of the unpardonable liberty of spying upon my hostess a droll hostess i must say and i am the black affronted woman said she but through no fault of mine i am in my own good father's house and still in a way a stranger in it and that is a hard thing but you must not distrust my father you will find i think before very long that the odd affairs in this house have less to do with him than with his daughter olivia she blushed again as she introduced her name but with a sensitiveness that count victor found perfectly entrancing my dear mademoiselle he said wishing the while he had had a friseur at the making of his toilet that morning as he ran his fingers over his beard and the thick brown hair that slightly curled above his brow my dear mademoiselle i feel pestilently like a fool and a knave to have placed myself in this position in any way to your annoyance i hope i may have the opportunity before i leave doom of proffering an adequate apology he expected her to leave him then and he had a foot retired preparing to re-enter his room but there was a hesitancy in her manner that told him she had something more to say she bit her nether lip the orchards of commercy he told himself never bred a cherry a thousandth part so rich and so inviting even to look at in candlelight a shy dubiety hovered round her eyes she waited her pleasure to speak perhaps said she softly relinquishing her brave demeanour perhaps it might be well that that my father knew nothing of this meeting or 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 of what led to it mademoiselle olivia said count victor i am what do you call it a somnambulist in that condition it has sometimes been my so good fortune to wander into the most ordinary ravishing situations but as it happens alas i can never recall a single incident of them when i waken in the morning ma foi he remembered that even yet his suspicions of the baron were unsatisfied i would with some pleasure become a nocturnal conspirator myself and i have all the necessary qualities romance enterprise and sympathy mungo knows all said the lady mungo will explain with infinite deference mademoiselle mungo shall not be invited to do anything of the kind but he must said she firmly it is due to myself as well as to you and i shall tell him to do so your good taste and judgment mademoiselle are your instructors permit me he took the candlestick from her hands gravely led the way to her chamber door and at the threshold restored the light with an excess of polite posturing not without its whimsicality 
As she took the candlestick, she looked in his face with a twinkle of amusement in her eyes, giving her a vivacity not hitherto betrayed. Guessing but half the occasion of her smiles, he cried abruptly, and not without confusion, "'Ah, you were the amused observer of my farce in wading across from the shore. Peste!' "'Indeed I was,' said she, smiling all the more brightly at the scene recalled. "'Good night!' And, more of a rogue than Count Victor had thought her, she disappeared into her chamber, leaving him to find his way back to his own. End of chapter 14